Well, hi, one and all. Good to see you this morning. And um, yeah, great. Actually, I must say, I'm really delighted with the initial response to the carol service. Um, we contacted our niece uh, just to let them know that the tickets were available. And uh, she went online and booked eight straight off on Monday because she'd been to the carol service for the first time last year and thought it was a fantastic event. And just over 24 hours, we had something like 200 tickets go. So I'm, uh, don't be slow on it. Um, and it's such a good opportunity. I mean, she, that's, that's it. She got a whole load of family coming and never asked them, just told them they were coming. I love that, you know. Did, did all the work for us. So um, don't miss the opportunity. It's a great opportunity to invite someone to it. All right. If you are new this morning, we've been following a series from the end of September, we called it Origins, um, how everything began, and we've covered creation, life, death, hope, suffering, I mean, also the, all the big topics that you would get in Genesis 1 to 11. So if that's you and you think, oh, actually, I'd be interested in that, then you can go on our website and pick that up. And as John said, today we're looking at the origins uh, of covenant. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 9 in a moment, or end of 8 and chapter 9 in a moment. Uh, first of all, a, a little catch up, because this is now post-flood. Now, flooding, as people will tell you, is no small matter. So anybody who's involved with that, uh, December, uh, November 2013, uh, we had our own. We had our own flood, and uh, within the space of something like four hours, uh, we had uh, it, uh, 27,000 pounds worth of damage in four hours. Um, we left the home around about one, came back about five, and so it was literally, a f when we left it was fine, when we came back, there was this sound, and I, I thought, what is that? And uh, Des was quicker off the mark than I was, so he was straight in to the stop clock, turned it off, uh, 27,000 pounds worth of damage. That's, it's catastrophic. Hey, as John highlighted two weeks ago, in Genesis 6 to 8, and that's immense. You know when Noah gets out of the ark, all he can see is devastation. Just let's get it in context here. All he can see is devastation. It, it's shattering. Shattering. And yet God preserves this man, Noah, and his family, eight people. So you're entitled to ask the question, what is going on? Sin, it, we're told in Genesis 6 that sin is so polluted the earth so polluted mankind that God brought his judgment. In other words, this was God's response to evil. And yet in the midst of a judgment, God's mercy is still at work. This man and his family are saved. Now if you want to get a fuller picture of that, and if you, think, if you just come in at this stage, you really need to download the one previous to this, uh, the one that John spoke on. Uh, I've, it was just very, very helpful. And it will give you some real context. Anyway, verse 1 of chapter 9. No, we're not going to go there. We're going to start at chapter 8, verse 18. I'm going to read here, and we're going through to 9, 17. 
there's a lot in here, and I'm not going to pick all of this up at all. So just in case you're thinking, oh, wow, how's he going to deal with that? Just be interested in it. So Noah, verse 18 of chapter 8, came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. The fear of dread of all of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. The birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making with you, between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I established between me and all life on the earth. Well, that's quite a passage, isn't it? Um, you go to that first verse in chapter 9, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Does that sound familiar? We've had this all before, haven't we? 
In Genesis chapter 1, it says the same thing to Adam. So, you know, whatever you make of this story, it is a story of a second chance. Whatever you make of your life, it is a story of a second chance. You can't miss it. It's a new beginning. You know, on Sunday afternoons, especially at this time of year, after the last meeting in the town centre, Trish Flint gets her Christmas choir together. And she pulls them together and they practice what they're going to be doing at the carol service. And I've seen her do this over the years and every now and then she goes, stop, stop, stop. And they're obedient, they're brilliant. They say, oh, stop. And they said, let's start that again, shall we? Sort of take it from the top. And it's, it's like God is doing the same thing here, isn't it? Stop, okay, let's start that again, shall we? And, and Christians, you and I know that that is familiar in our lives too. When God goes, come on, stop. Need to start that again. Come on. Let's go again, shall we? Let's go again. This is the story of our lives. We've got the second chance, third chance, fourth chance, whatever. But you have to remember that this is not in paradise. Adam's is in paradise. This is not. And that a flood was not the answer to sin. Judgment, yes, but not the answer. The problem with sin, and this is the, this is the, the problem with sin, it's, it's, it's not up there, it's not out there, it's right in here. That is the problem. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn is a captain in the Red Army. He spent eight years in a Russian gulag, a labor camp. I mean, if any man knew what evil was like, this man knew it. And then after eight years, he went to Kazakhstan, and then eventually he was deported. And in his writings, he says this. It says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but through every human heart and all human hearts. It's there before the ark. As John told us, it went into the ark. Why? Because Noah went into the ark. It comes out of the ark. It's still there. Sin is still there. If you read the last part of this chapter, you'll see his conduct and you'll realize, hey, it's still there. Sin, however, does not change God's plans and purposes. It may change his methods. But it doesn't change his mission. His desire is for us, who have been created in his image, to fill the earth with his glory. That's his, that's his mission. His mission is like his nature. It's unchangeable. He goes, nothing's changed. This is my purpose. Habakkuk 2, 14 says that with, for the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Be fruitful, increase in number and fill the earth. He reestablishes his purposes with Noah and his family. And to show the seriousness of intent, he goes, I make a covenant. I, I find this quite amazing that, you know, that we almost have to know that God has made a promise. And it's, it's his kindness to us, but he has. I mean, this God who is so faithful 
And he's saying, I make, a, I make a covenant. I am really, this is, this is so serious. And you might ask, what is a covenant? Now look, in its most, just this is very basic. In its most essential aspect, a covenant is, which, is that which binds people or groups or a group of people together. It could be a contract, an agreement, a promise. That's basically our, our, our life is full of covenant. It goes on all the time. Individuals do it, landlords do it, nations do it. I mean, it's everywhere. We, we, it's full of it. Let me take a simple example. I, I go to the post office, I have a letter, I want, to, I want it to go to Liverpool. I have an address, address on, for Liverpool and the post office say they will send it to me, send it for me. And the covenant is this, I buy the stamp, they deliver the letter. That's the covenant. I buy the stamp, they deliver the letter. Two parties are committed together. I do my part, they do theirs. Made a covenant. That's what it's about. We see covenant every time we see a marriage at the, at the King Centre. Every time we do a marriage. Two parties come together. They make promises of faithfulness and love for each other. And then also they say how that looks. So it's not just uh, words of love and faithfulness. It's say, they say for better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. Sickness and in health. They do it in the sight of others too. And more importantly, they do it in the sight of God. They make a covenant. They make promises to one another. I'll love you, I'll cherish you, I'll honor you, respect you. It's covenants. And then if you read through scripture, you'll see that God does this again and again and again. Because covenant follows covenant, follows covenant. Big theme. That's why we're doing the origins of covenant. Throughout scripture, God has done this time and time again. I'm reminded of a, of a Jew. In, um, we baptized him at uh, Amersham. And he, his story was that he went to uh, a hotel room and there was this Gideon's Bible. So he opens the drawer, takes out the Gideon's Bible. He's never read beyond Malachi. There's a Jew. He's never read beyond Malachi. So he starts in Matthew's Gospel. I don't know what you do when you get to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. But if you do, you'll find it's full of names. And I suspect you'll find them not all that easy to pronounce either. It's so full of names. So what I do is do a quick scan. I think that's just for my conscience sake. I read my Bible. And I'll get on to the story. I want to get on the story. But he doesn't. He reads the names. And they're all names that he's familiar with. And the reason is, this is his history. This is his story. Christians, this is your story too. This is your history too. When God makes a covenant with this man, you know what sort of God you've got. He's a God of covenant. He's serious about you. We are today people of God who are dependent on our salvation, on a God who keeps his promises. Otherwise, where would we stand? If furthermore, you know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, whatever this life throws at you, I don't understand how, I, don't work, I can't work it out how, how some people get such a raw deal. Let me just say, but whatever this life throws at you, if you follow him, one day you're going to be with him. And you're going to see him face to face. 
And you're going to see his delight for you when he sees you. That's his promise to you. That's his promise to you. So it's important that we understand that we have a God who keeps his promises. It shows that God is serious about you. So we'll look at briefly two things in this. Now you will have looked at that covenant and thought, oh, what's Neil going to do with this? And I, I, I can't. There's just too much in here. So I'm just going to pick up on one theme and then so I'm just going to pick up one theme on this covenant and then I'm going to go, where is this covenant heading? That's two things I'm going to do. So the first of all is God makes a covenant with the earth. I don't know if you picked that up, but he made a covenant with the earth. Chapter 821 says this, never again, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every, every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures. And then it goes on to verse 9, 11, and we're going to read that again. It says, and, and now I establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all, that, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God makes a covenant with the earth. I believe this is the only time he does it. This is the only time, this is quite unique, that God makes a covenant with the earth. All the earth and every living creature. If it's important to him, it's important to us. I think it's important to hear that. I remember as a 15-year-old, as a lying on a flat roof in the Middle East. My dad worked out in the, in, in the Middle East and... I remember at night times, on a number of occasions, I'd, I'd lie on the flat roof and I'd look up into the night sky. You know, there's no light pollution. There was no light pollution then. Apparently, it was quite a few years ago when I was 15. No light pollution. And um, you, know, you know what jewelers do when they're showing off diamonds? They put them on a black cloth. And they go, wow, that looks good. And it's like that. And I was like, diamonds in the sky. I know that's a key for a song but it's like diamonds in the sky they're just in this dark sky and I would lie there and think I sort of intuitively knew there's a creator there's someone I just intuitively in creation I just knew it was marvelous it was just beautiful stunning it spoke to me and that's not unusual because in Psalm 19, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. You know, creation has a voice. God makes his, his covenant with creation. From our kitchen window, we are able to see the most glorious sunsets and Every photo we take never does it justice. They're just stunningly beautiful. Creation, God's handiwork. C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, we do not merely, we do not want to merely see beauty. 
Though God knows even that is bounty enough, we want something else which can, which can hardly be put into words, to sort of to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. Our grandchildren are great at this. We got a vine, we got a vine in our, on our patio, and um, cover, all covered with leaves. And um, two, of our, two of our children, two of our grandchildren, went into this vine, and all you could see was just their faces. Just their faces. Oh, no, amongst the leaves, just their faces. And we got lots of trees, and so we got loads of leaves, and, and that, you know, children just love rolling around in the leaves. They just love it. And then they get in the water, don't they? And splash, splash, splash. They want to be in it. They want to be part of it. I think sometimes children say so much more than we do. As adults, we just want to see it. But now they want to get mucky in it and messy in it. I love it. And there's, so there's this voice in nature. And, sometimes, and it's tainted. We only see it in part. Paul writes in Romans that the whole of creation groans. It is a thought. The whole of creation groans as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. I sort of stopped at that point. Thought, wow, creation groans. I mean, that's some groan. Childbirth, as in the pains of childbirth, that is some groan. Creation too is waiting for a liberation. Creation is looking forward to a, a new day and a new heavens and a new earth. And it's quite clear in this covenant that man has the power over creation, over every living creature. And here's this, my friends, with power comes responsibility. And there's plenty of responsibility given in here in this, in this chapter too. There's governmental responsibility starts here. But we are also called to be responsible for our environment. As one commentator writes this, he says, we have an obligation to preserve the earth and the reproduction of all forms of life for future generations. This is not a call to stop cutting trees. Noah must have cut down a small forest to build an ark. But it is a, but it is a call for responsible management. You know, we get touched by this. I've never heard so many people talk about uh, the is it Blue Planet or whatever? On the, we just missed a couple of those. So, but those things on Sunday night—they're fantastic, fascinating, and yet it's still tainted. So, as if, this is God's covenant with the Earth. He's never going to destroy the Earth again. He couldn't be more clearer. This is His promise. This is His covenant to the Earth and with Noah. I'm never going to do this again. It's unconditional, my friends. So, and he gives a sign for this covenant. And it's the sign of the rainbow. That's one of the best I could come up with. That's brilliant though, isn't it? Every time you see this, you know, you, you go, I know you go, wow, don't you? And you? But listen, when you look at the sign, when you look at that rainbow, it isn't purely that we're not going to see rain and flooding of that magnitude again. My friends, it is more than that. The rainbow tells us that God is never going to destroy evil in that way again. He's never going to do it in that way again. The rainbow is God's guarantee that he's going to deal with evil in a different way. 
He's not going to do that again. Now the question remains, how is God going to do that? That's the sort of question. Where do we go from here? How is he going to do that? You have to stay with me here. We're going to do a mini history lesson. So this is the first covenant. There are five major covenants. Scripture runs all the way through it. So here is the first covenant. Other people will have different views. This is my view. We are first covenant. So Noah, Noah's God's covenant with Noah and the earth is, I want, we're going to do this another way. There's going to be another way. I'm never going to do that again. It runs through the whole of Scripture. So we are, how is God going to deal with evil? And a few chapters later in Genesis, God makes a covenant with a man called Abraham. You've probably all heard of him. And in Genesis chapter 12, God promises, he promises that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through this man. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him. It's an unconditional promise. That means God's going to do it. Now in spite of Abraham's wife, Sarah, that she's barren, they have this miracle child. And through him comes a family. You can follow it all the way through Genesis. But in the end, this family comes into a nation. And the covenant for this, and the covenant for this, uh, the, the sign for this covenant is circumcision. And I wonder if later Noah thinks, Whew, I think I got a good deal. I just, just a thought, it's just a thought. But, but, but God, God's intention is that through this nation, the whole earth will be blessed. That's his promise. I, I'm not going to deal with evil this way. I have another way. I'm going to use people and person by person and family by family and place by place. I'm going to transform the earth. I'm going to do it by people. I'm going to put people. So this nation becomes a, this, this people become a nation. And so you then move to what's known as the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, don't get caught up to it on those words, but it means it just came through, no, uh, through Moses. That's what it means. Mosaic Covenant. You follow this covenant, this is God's promise, that he would have a people who would represent him. Now, God's intention was that he'd have a model nation. And in, when you get to Solomon's reign, you'll see all, all sorts of royalty come to Solomon. And they are blown out by this nation. God's heart was this would be a model nation. But of course, they couldn't be nominal. They had to be a people of faith, because that was the heart of Abraham. And in Exodus 19, it says that this kingdom, this kingdom, this nation, would be a kingdom of priests. You know, a priest is a person who represents God to people and brings people to God. That's what a priest does. This is our calling too. Kings, this is our calling. This is just as much ours as it was theirs. This is all people's. This is why we have a vision for this town and this area here. Why? Because we want to make a difference where we live. That is why. 
They were part of the Wickham Homeless Connection. Why? Because we want to make a difference where we are and bring people to God. That's why we do it. Christians Against Poverty is the same thing. We want to bring people to God. The youth in this town, we get a hundred of our young people, and they're not all ours. They come from all over the town, and that's an interesting Friday night, believe me. If you want... Messy, if you don't want messy carpets, don't have them in. But, you know, this is messy stuff. Why do we do this? Because we are a kingdom of priests. I was walking through the Eden Center uh, yesterday, and uh, I, my, I just was so moved. I, I, all I did was pray. I just walked from one end of it to the other. I was looking at all these people. I was like, what's your story? Where do you come from? What's going on in your life? God, do you know God? What a difference God would make for you. And I just, all the way through, just prayed, prayed. Prayed in tongues, actually. Just prayed all the way through. Quietly, by the way. Um, So I don't want to be carted off. But Lord, how are you going to, this is why we have an encounter evening tonight. We're going to pray. Yeah, but Lord, how are you going to deal with evil? How are you going to deal with it? And then God clarifies it a little bit more. He has this, and David, and he gives him the most, most wonderful covenant with David, 2 Samuel 7. David says, I want to build your house. God, I want to build your house. And God says, no, you're not going to do it. But I'll build you one. And out of your generations, and out of your line, there is going to come one. And he's going to be a priest and a king. And of the increase of the government, guess what? There'll be no end. That's what he'll be like. You want to read it in 2 Samuel 7. It's quite wonderful, really. I want to build you a house. Mm. David, I want to build you a house. Wow, what a house. And so this is obviously where Jesus comes in. Now in each one of these covenants are a signpost. How's God going to change the world? How are we not going to have what happened in Noah's time? He's going to transform people. He wants to transform people. Yeah, but how are you going to do that through one person? How are you going to transform through one person? And so God speaks to Jeremiah. And he says, and this is what he's going to do. And this is what you and I needed all the way along the line. If God is going to deal with us, He's got to deal with our heart. Solzhenitsyn said, there's evil running through it. He has to deal with the heart. If he's to forgive our sins and remember them no more, he has to deal with the problem of evil. He says to Jeremiah, the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant and it won't be like the covenants of old. And then he goes this, I'll put my law, I'll do it. I'll put my law in their minds, and I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they'll all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is the new covenant. This is the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke about. And all that time they wondered, when's the new covenant coming in? And then Jesus comes. Now if you remember the first covenant, there's this rainbow. 
the Hebrew word for rainbow or bow, it, actually it's a battle bow. That's the Hebrew word for it. it it's, a, it's a war bow. Shaped like a, exactly a bow. It's for battle. You'll notice that the bow is pointing upwards, not downwards. I wonder if we might feel a little bit more nervous if it was pointing downwards. Just a thought. It is a battle bow. They understood that. It's aimed up. God still judges. But this time his arrows of judgment are received on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah says. He was pierced for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. How do we get a new heart? When we follow Jesus Christ, God does a miraculous work in each one of us. And he gives you a new heart. It's a gift. It's a miracle. It's, a new, it's the new covenant, my friends. You are in the new covenant. And why, the reason you know that you have that is because God has promised. And he has done it. Whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And every time, you know, we come to this meal, every time we come, every time, we come break bread, each time we come to this bread, this is a sign. It's a sign of the new covenant. So Jesus in that upper room says, I got a sign for you guys. This is a sign of the new covenant. This is the new covenant. Oh, that's what Jeremiah spoke about 600 years ago. This is the new covenant. Here, come to this meal. Come to this meal. Whenever you drink this, whenever you drink this, remember this. I pay for all your sins. I, listen, I forgive all your sins. All your sins. What you mean, even that one? Even that one. I pay for all your sins. No, no. Every time you come, remember, as you break the bread, remember, I'm in a new covenant. And all my sins have been paid for. The battle bow is upwards, not towards me. It's upwards. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment was on him that we might know the peace of God every time you come, come to this meal. I'm a new covenant person and my sins have been paid for. Amen.